everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Neil Frazier. Um, Neil and I have not only ridden bikes around the all around California, but um, I got to sit into one of his beefsteaks, which was actually incredible. And I still want to go do that again. So, Neil, thanks for taking time. I know you're busy. Um, what's going on? Just living life, you know, trying to still figure out how to, you know, get out of COVID and uh, normalize. We're still closed two days a week. And whenever I talk about being open seven days, everybody looks at me like I'm, you know, crazy. Um, we don't staff we don't you know um and just you know trying to enjoy you know the fact that you know i've been able to do something that i really love for you know 30 plus years with uh people i love doing it with and just trying to really continue to celebrate that um as hard as it is and you know as many references to the bear that i hear on a daily basis about how stressful it is i really still enjoy it and i really still feel like I'm not a surfer, but the idea I can still catch a wave, you know, I still feel like I can uh, kind of feel that feeling that 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 rush of uh, being involved in something that's chaotic and organized. It is full blown or organized chaos. I mean, it's like the it, and it's funny you, you you say at the bear, everybody's talking about it. Like people ask me everywhere, like, do you watch it? What do you think? Is it is it? Yeah, it, it's good. It, let's just be honest. It's like it's I, fucking great. Yeah. I yeah. can't. No, my not wife, straight up good. <laughs> yeah. But one of my friends who's a, as a TV writer last night, I was sitting with him in a backyard and he's like, I love the bear. He goes, I have so much more appreciation for what you do and what Amy does watching the show because it's like, I would fucking lose my mind. I'm like, Dana, if somebody asked me to write a script, I would lose my mind. Like we've been doing this. We've been practicing for this our whole lives, you know? Well, that and that actually leads into a really great question. And I would like people to know where you started because you've done so many great things in LA. I mean, I've eaten at previous restaurants of yours. Um, I, you've done so much. Can you kind of give a backdrop of where it all started and how you how you got to where you are now? Because I think there is, and for folks now who have seen the bear and they're seeing like that growth of somebody in a kitchen, right? Right. It's not an overnight thing, right? You aren't where you are and it didn't happen because, you know, you just, hey, I'm going to do this. It it took time and energy and training and years of training, let's be really honest. So how did that all start for you? Well, um, 1989, uh, I was a second year senior cyclist and, uh, you know, kind of having most of my success on the track and uh, I got second in uh, Team Pursuit Nationals in 1989. And I literally like took my bike out of the infield and I handed it to my sponsor. I was like, I'm done. I had this beautiful uh, pearl white Medici with double disc brakes. And, uh, you know, we got second in Nationals. It's not like, you know, it was terrible. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I drove back to L.A. and uh, went to San Francisco State and um moved in with some old cycling friends on very close to where you live sixth avenue in judah and just having a really hard time and um my high school girlfriend got pregnant i realized later on that it was my kid and i failed my uh spanish 101 class at san francisco state wrecked my roommate's motorcycle and went to the stone hills mall and it was like a donald trump kind of thing i was literally riding down an escalator i got to the bottom of the escalator with my friend Anne, and i'm like i want to be a chef and uh, moved out of my place. I moved back to L.A. Uh, shortly thereafter, I had a kid thinking it was somebody else's kid. Ended up to be my kid. And there was one restaurant in Laurel Canyon, and it was called Coyote. And uh, I never really heard of it. I'd ordered pizza from there. Knocked on the door. The chef owner opened the door. His name was Ed Ledoux. And uh, I'm like, I want a job. I want to be a chef. He's like, can you start right now? I'm like, yes. And I started, you know, and I just kind of went after it. And um 
Ed Ledoux, who people don't know who he is, you know, invented the California pizza. He had a place in the, the Bay Area called uh, Prego, where he was the chef. Wolfgang Cuck found him, said, oh, this is what I want for my new concept. We're opening this restaurant called Spago. And uh, he went to move to L.A., opened Spago, then met a couple attorneys, you know, several years later. They started this little pizza chain called California Pizza Kitchen. I've never heard um, of that. Is that successful? <laughs> uh, they have a couple locations in California, I think. And, <laughs> I think so, yeah. And Ed, uh, you know, not to tangent off to Ed, but, you know, Ed, uh, best friend was, uh, you know, Van Morrison. His other best friend was Jack Daniels. And um, he drunk himself to death, you know, and I kind of like, you know, learned early on, like where he was. And then I met a friend at Valley College who got this job at this restaurant called Eureka, um, which I, again, I'd never heard of. And I was like, I'd never really eaten it. Spago or Maison, And uh, it was, you know, Wolfgang Puck's third restaurant. And I just begged for a job there every day. I'd go there before my shift and I asked the chef, you know, who was uh, um, Mark Valiani was the executive sous chef and Jody Denton was a chef cuisine. And uh, I'd asked for a job. And they're like, we don't have a job. You know, we just opened, we have all the staff. And I just went back and I'm like, oh yeah, we fired, you know, this guy JP. And I'm like, can I have his job? And they're like, sure. And I went and peeled ginger and cleaned out the walk-in and got really inspired by a bunch of people who were CIA grads. Uh, one guy, this guy, Eric Karp, who um, ended up to be one of my mentors. And this guy, Mark Valiani, who was my you know, mentor at multiple restaurants after that. And um, went to culinary school. And, you know, I was a little bit older than a lot of the other kids. I wasn't 18. And, um, you know, just went after it as much as I could. And, you know, was eating in the city and, um, you know, came back to L.A. to do my externship. And I met with three chefs. Uh, one was uh, Patrick Clark, who was working at a restaurant called Biche in LA and I'm like, I did a stage and I was like, this is fucking awesome. I want to work here. And he's like, well, I'm leaving in two weeks. I'm just about to get my notice. So don't take a job here. I went to the hotel Bel Air interview with George Mahaffey and he didn't have a job. And I met this other guy. He was downtown and yeah, really upset and a bitter guy. His name was Thomas Keller. And he was the chef at a hotel downtown called checkers hotel and uh, ended up working there. And just, you know, first week was great. And it was just, it was just, the most gut-wrenching, humiliating experience of my life. And looks like he was yelling at everybody. He was picking fights with people. He almost got a fist fight on the line one night. The GM of the hotel would come in. They would fight. And I was like, I, I remember I took Thomas in his, his office one time. And I, and I said, I'm a chef. I'm not learning anything. Like, why am I here? You know, it's like I'm a punching bag. And, like, I'm trying to get my externship here. And you're just being a dick to me. And he didn't really apologize. From that day on, though, he taught me, like, a, you know, how to braise a veal breast, how to make foie gras um terrines whatever it was and um we ended up you know having a relationship after that and uh so went back to culinary school then eric carp who worked at eureka worked for this chef his name was david burke you know park avenue cafe he goes knock on the door ask david for a job and i so i knocked on the door and i asked david for a job and you know i was a you know i was making six dollars an hour or five dollars an hour before i was going to culinary school and david asked offered me a hundred dollars a day to work pantry and i worked friday night Saturday double, Sunday brunch, and then I would get back to school. And I worked there for, I guess, my last term of CIA and uh, just got my ass kicked, you know, just Talk like about an iconic person to work for. Oh my God. Brad Steelman was the chef's cuisine. And um, I remember one day, like, the I was on pantry and there was, I don't know if you know that kitchen at all, but there was a, a dining room in the middle of the kitchen that was like glassed off. And I was like getting something. I, I, I worked next to Dan Bud every day. And um, uh, one of the, like the saute cook ran out of salmon in the middle of service. And Brad Seaman picked up like a full-size cutting board and threw it at his fucking head in the middle of service. And it missed him. Almost hit the dishwasher in the back of the head. I was just like, I was scared shitless, you know. Culinary <laughs> school. Uh, Took a job, you know, again, I thought it was me sous chef at this restaurant called Pinot Bistro, which was Joaquin Spleachel's second restaurant, I guess, and um, showed up and realized that I didn't even know how to, like, work a station. You know, I was like, I was so humiliated, like, day one. I was like, how, how am I going to do this? And, like, slowly, you know, I learned how to make salads and then, and then, like, you know, middle of service on a Friday night, the fucking saute cook gets fucking fired. And they're like, you're going to work here. I'm like, I don't know how to, I, I can't even pick up pants, you know. And uh, I learned how to be a line cook in like a week, standing in between Octavio Becerra and Michael Otska, 
and um, literally would like go to my car on my break and cry and then smoke a cigarette and then <laughs> fuck me like a do and then go back and just like, you know, it was like riding your fucking your your uh, single speed bike on a roller coaster every night. And we would do like we do 140 covers before like 7 p.m. <laughs> I would <laughs> off whitefish before service and like just fucking, you know, sizzler platter in the oven with this uh, saw cod brandade and I forget what the sauce was, but just, you know, and, and like, it was like four weeks later, I was like, okay, I could do a fucking 10 pan pickup. Like I could, you know, you either learn or you don't. And uh, isn't that such a magical thought? Like you think about that, right? Like that moment where you're like, I'm just going to get barrel rolled. I have no clue what the fuck I'm doing. And the, it be it's almost like osmosis because you're you're by these people that are so much better than you and you want it so bad and it's almost like it's forced osmosis like you're you're looking out of the corner of your eye okay that's how they're doing that okay i got to do like that. it's so amazing how that one week can totally change you yeah and i would go into work and i mean a shift started at like three o'clock i go into work at like 10 oh yeah you know, and <laughs> Josiah Citrin worked uh, grill for lunch and I would like, you know, ask him, you know, lunch wasn't as busy as dinner. I'm like, can I have the, your side of the grill here to make, you know, fucking boiled carrots or whatever. And I'd, I'd fucking make something and I'd come back, you know, and I check my pot and like, I'm like, chef, where's, where's my pot? I threw it. I was wrong. I'm like, you just fucking threw out all my mise en place. He goes, yeah, you cut it wrong. And I was like, Josiah would just fucking ditch my stuff every day in the fucking dumpster or what, I don't know, in the fucking you know, the brazing pan, wherever the pans went to fucking die. And, uh, you know, finally, you know, I worked there for not very long, six, seven months and, uh, really hated it. And Octavio knew it. And, you know, I wasn't the first person to quit. And I, um, I left there and, uh, got a job at Spago and, uh, Mark Valiani, who I worked for at Eureka was the sous chef there. And, um, I worked there for like two weeks and just fucking hated it. Just like everything about it. I hated the people, the attitude. I was saucier. I used to work next to Francois Wango Dongo every night. And I would make like $5,000 of the veal demi sauces. And the end of the service, they would just fucking throw them all in the fucking trash. And I was just like, can I save this? For nope. Can I save this for the next day? You know, serving medium rare chicken, doing 340 covers with like four or five guys on the line, just serving what I consider not great food, you know, and um, nobody seemed to care. And, you know, everybody was like, you know, it was like uh, playing pool with a bunch of sharks. Like everybody knew what they were doing. And I just felt like I could never get an upper hand of what was going. There's the one guy who trained me, this guy, Gerard, like day three, like he goes, oh, today's my last day. I'm like, really? The only guy I like in the kitchen's last day. So I went in one day, I handed him a letter. I'm said, I, I fucking quit. Like, I can't work here. And uh, Mark understood. And and I got a job um, being a chef of a like a cafe, like a breakfast lunch cafe called Revival Cafe. And uh, I was the chef and it was like literally like electric pizza ovens and like a, a eggs perfecto machine, which was an electric egg machine. It was like this brunch spot that would do like 60 70 covers of brunch on the weekdays and like 300 covers on the weekends and we'd serve like pieces of frittata with a salad on the side and then the gm quit so i was the chef and the gm of this place and i was making like you know fives i'd make 500 on some days i was making two thousand dollars a week i went from making six dollars an hour and maybe i was making eight dollars an hour at spago to making like twenty five hundred dollars a week and i was like this is fucking great I was working there and it was great. And then, you know, one day the owner came in and he goes, you're stealing from me uh, on the phone. You're stealing from me. I'm like, I'm not stealing. I'm running your restaurant, doing payroll. And he fired me over the phone. And I was just like, great. So went back to school, enrolled in Cal State, uh, Cal State LA, was taking a class. Mark called me up. You know, I stopped cooking for a while. And Mark called me up because I'm up in this new restaurant. It's in the Beverly Prescott Hotel. It's their, you know, the Prescott's first property in LA. I want you to come and be a line cook there. So I was like, what do I have to lose? And I walked in. It was like some of the usual suspects from the past. And and Mark, who was, you know, kind of in doubt to be my kind of biggest culinary mentor. And um, I kind of started over again. And, you know, shortly thereafter, realized, like, this is where I want to be. You know, and it kind of started to gel. I, I was working 
full time. I was taking a full load of classes at Cal State LA, and for the first time in my life, I had a four GPA. And somehow, like everything, just kind of started to line up, you know. And I went from making six dollars an hour to eight dollars an hour, and then, you know, I was like literally running the fry station for a while in a busy hotel, and um, I uh, took a trip to go to Vietnam and Thailand. And uh, asked Mark for some time off. He said, no, you know, you have to quit. I'm like, I mean, I've been here for a year. Like, I'm just going to take a couple weeks off. He goes, I don't give you vacation pay. So so I quit. Came back, you know, again, like put me on salads, gave me a pay cut, you know. And then, you know, maybe two months later, I was kitchen manager, you know, basically working from five in the morning until sometimes nine at night, you know, working breakfast by myself with some porters setting up lunch, somebody called in sick for dinner, working for dinner. And uh, I worked there for about two and a half years and just really, you know, learned how to do everything, learned how to do all the stuff. And um, I was in a, a bar one night, this uh, Trivio Prado bar. And uh, I met this guy named Steve Arroyo. And he's like, hey, you know, I heard you're a good cook. And, you know, let's open a restaurant together. And I was just like, he was working at Illy Cafe and he was a busboy at a hard rock cafe. And I was like, what could possibly go wrong? And we looked at the space he had already picked out. <laughs> and uh, this guy, um, Mike Williams, gave us a $100,000 check to open this restaurant, like some friend of his from, from uh, high school. And uh, we opened our first restaurant. You know, my first restaurant I opened and uh, I was 25 years old. I'd never been a sous chef. And we just went for it, you know. And um, I was telling this story to somebody the other day, like, you know, we, you know, put together this dream team and some of like the, you know, the OG Latino guys had worked with in the past, the guys could, you know, hold four pans in each hand and like take a nap, you know, and everything is perfect. Um, this guy, Ramundo, who worked for me for a long time and just kind of went for it. And, um, you know, the first night we did a hundred covers, second night we did 50 covers, third day we did 40. And then like, you know, we're there, there were days we're doing like two, three, five, 10 people, you know, just like dead. And I was like, well, this is not going to be good. Like, this isn't going to work out well. And it's just kind of slowly built up. And, you know, we started to get some regular clientele. And, you know, some of the clientele was like the whole cast of friends. And, you know, it's like we started to build the thing. I mean, I remember like one time we had the, you know, bathroom in the kitchen, you know, 40 seat restaurant, no liquor license. And Brooke Shields fucking walks in and like goes in the fucking bathroom and clogs the toilet up. And I was just like, I fucking made it. <laughs> Brooke I made it clog the toilet you've officially won okay heater in the toilet like, and like clogged the fucking you know that we had to call fucking rotor rooter you know i was like <laughs> and um i worked there for years and learned a lot about you know how to do it the wrong way and i was saying the other day like you know my business partner you know uh didn't you know follow the rules all the time and forgot to pay the sales tax and we had a, a keeper in the restaurant you know this guy knocked on the door hey i'm here from uh you know the uh i don't know what is the labor board or whatever i, don't, I can't remember who oversees sales tax and goes you can pay your sales tax so i'm going to put a cash register in the middle of the dining room and every receipt that comes in i'm going to take the cash until you guys pay back the seven thousand dollars or nine ten, you know a lot of money ten thousand dollars and uh he sat there and we worked through that and and then, uh, unfortunately, our main investor was embezzling money. And the second subpoena I read, I was just like, I, I read it. It was, you know, it was this thick. And I just gave my notice. I'm like, I'm done. Worked there for two and a half years. And I just thought the place would get, you know, a lock on the front door. And, you know, they they had some other great chefs. And Brooke Williamson was the chef there after me. And um, Steve, you know, 20 five years later still has the same space and a different incarnation of the restaurant. So it just went out without me. And I, uh, you know, met this guy, Will Cargis, and uh, he was opening a, a, like a breakfast place in Santa Monica. I went and worked there. And then out the back of this was this giant restaurant behemoth, a restaurant, of course, corner of uh fifth and Santa Monica called Rick's. And they were looking for a new chef and they, uh, didn't like the chef they had. And so I, you know, interviewed and did a tasting and they hired me and I, they fired the chef on Saturday night and I fucking threw out everything in the walk-in and Tuesday, you know, evening started with a completely new menu with a staff I'd never worked with before and just kind of went for it and kind of, you know, continued to kind of, you know, 
do good things there. Ended up make, meeting my wife there, um, who's you know currently and now has been my business partner ever since. And worked there for about two and a half years and had a run in with the the GM of the restaurant and um, you know kind of came in and you know walked out. Me, the sous chef, the pastry chef, just like fucking fuck you, you're an asshole. Um, and walked out and I had another job, uh, called Jimmy's in Beverly Hills, which is a legacy restaurant. I was there for a long time and they, uh, closed for a year. And the, the, I don't know if all the stories are true, but the story I got was, uh, the owner got wind that they were going to, um, sell the building. So he had some equity in the, the lease he had. So he invested a million dollars, reopened this restaurant. And when I say reopen the restaurant, you know, frete linen bernardo china they already had silver glassware built a million dollar wine cellar and i opened this restaurant in beverly hills with my sous chef we were co-chefs and like the first day you know the whole time we were open you know we do 200 for lunch 300 for dinner plus banquets and like oh who's on table 12 oh that's you know nancy reagan's coming again like it was like that was our clientele like nancy reagan betsy boomendale you know rich people like people i'd never experienced in my life and uh did christmas eve y2k new year's went on a camping trip uh up to the uh, uh sierra foothills and uh like just like had my first cell phone in my life and i had like 35 messages like missed calls we were like out, out of cell phone reception and uh i thought somebody had died I'm like oh somebody fucking died and i finally picked up the phone it was my sister who was working as uh, a host there and she says, Jimmy's close. I was like, what the fuck? And, uh, you know, they basically sold, they sold their business to the owner of the building, which funny enough, ended out to be Lehman Brothers. And um, it was over. We did a couple of banquets after that. You know, I asked Jimmy to sell me some of the China. You know, I said I was going to open my new restaurant, you know, eventually. And um, that was it. You know, fucking out of a job, you know, out of my mind, you know, spent You're three good. months. This is 2000, the year 2000, Y2K, yeah. And then talk about, it's already tumultuous, right? You've got Y2K, everybody thought the world was going to implode. Yeah. <laughs> Technology is going to all break down. There's going to be a nuclear war because the computers don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's like, you're roller coastering. I mean, there's so much yeah. ups and downs and perseverance. And I think that is... Yeah that is what this business is, right? It's like the measure of our success is how we learn to deal with problems, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, you know, Amy and I decided we we're going to open our own restaurant and we started raising money. And uh, I, I had a space that I always wanted to be in. It was called Muse. It was there for a long time, 20 years. And uh, we're like, yeah, this is no problem. Slam dunk. I'm going to, you know, raise, you know, 950 grand, no problem. You know, hired a lawyer, wrote a PPM. And just, you know, the money started flowing in, you know, $10 here, $20 there, $100 there. And I was like, I, you know, got to the point I raised maybe three hundred and fifty dollars or $400,000, you know, at, you know, $5,000 increments to $20,000 increments and um, ended out taking a, uh, a partner on. And then in the, in, the, in the interim, you know, just for like the sake of like, maybe I'll move to New York. I got a chef, uh, chef job or a sous chef job consulting sous chef at a restaurant called Moomba. They had a location in the West Village. I'm like, great. Well, I can always go and work in the West Village. So they opened this, you know, relatively big, you know, restaurant with a nightclub in the back. Thievery Corporation played like the third day we were there. And I was like, this is going to be awesome, you know. And uh, the day we opened the restaurant in LA, the New York location closed. I was like, that's weird. Like, why would they close their busy you know, I'd been to the restaurant, you know, I, I, you know, the first person I saw when I walked in was, was Madonna. Um, and, uh, so I worked there for a couple of months and then, uh, nine 11 happened and like the restaurant just, you know, imploded, um, for various reasons. We just kind of kept, you know, rolling towards the space of getting the money and figuring it out. And, um, finally got to the point where we raised $950,000 and we, you know, went for the space and, uh, you know, it took us from kind of Y2K to opening. It took us a little over three years. We were open right around Valentine's Day, 2003. And it was like just immediately like a fucking hit. Like, you know, it was like day one. It was like what LA wanted at that moment. And uh, we had a really great run, you know, in the 
got a lot of accolades. You know, um, we opened a restaurant a block and a half away called BLD, which we ran for 10 years. And so we had the kind of fine dining and the casual. They were a block and a half away from each other. Everything's going really well. Um, you know, the writer's strike happened and like literally overnight, like, you know, we lost 50% of our business. You know, I, I call like, I should listen to Josiah Citron more often. I called Josiah. I'm like, what should I do? He goes, just double your prices. He goes, people who have money, they don't, they don't care. He goes, you know, you'll have half the business and you'll make the same amount of money. And I didn't listen to that. And we had a, you know, five, uh, $55 five course prefix, which is kind of like what we like rested on and just kind of like just start hammering on the food. And, you know, our food costs went from 30 to 40% and just, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to keep cooking good food. And, you know, eventually we ran out of uh road and BLD was doing fine, you know, in the recession and the writer's strike is like, you know, as opposed to spending $70 on dinners, people would spend 30, you know, it was just really hard to make money at that. So we did an event for IBM, um, at, at Viviana and, uh, you know, our building was, uh, our business at Grace wasn't doing well. And, um, I had seen the RFP for the space before that. And Amy and I came down, this woman ran down, handed us this, you know, glossy, you know, uh, RFP for this, you know, cathedral space. And, uh, Amy took a look at it and we walked the space together and, you know, the building was abandoned. Like, you know, it was like, there was a lot of, you know, the first event we did there, we had to rent stoves, tables, air conditioning, bathrooms, security guards. I mean, it was nothing there. And, uh, and we're like, we want to do this. And we thought it was a great idea. And we, um, ended out taking on a business partner of the guy who actually bought our bot grace became our business partner for a short time and just kind of went for it. And again, we're like, this is going to take six months, you know, slam dunk. And, uh, it took us six years to open, you know, six years of like raising money, losing our lease. You know, we signed our lease, the building was in receivership. I had to find a guarantor for a loan that didn't happen. You know, finally, you know, things lined up and, um, raise the money you know one of our landlords richard weintraub lived in malibu we'd go out drive out to his house an hour and a half for like a fucking 30 second meeting sometimes or he wouldn't show up to the meeting and i was just like this is the biggest fucking bunch of bullshit but just i saw the opportunity of like being able to do restaurant catering not only catering on a large scale i mean viviana we can see 600 but there were all, all these potential private rooms we could build and uh i remember when i was uh we're under just about under construction joaquin splishaw came by and toured the space with me and and he's like this is your dining right here 50 seats he goes the rest make private dining private dining private dining private dining and i was like i kind of felt slighted by it like he didn't think i was a chef he thought i was a caterer you know and what he was really doing is like giving me really good advice like these people in, in life they're just like this is what you should do because this is how you make money you know, and I look at them like, fuck you. I'm a great chef. Like, I want to cook great food for great people. And I don't care about food costs or labor costs. I just want to, like, make the magic happen. And, and all they're trying to do. That's the I, biggest mistake we all make. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We put ourselves. We, we it's kind of hard to stop and listen to somebody else because we have a vision and a dream and you want to get it to where it wants to be. Yeah. I think you, you were smart enough to listen. Right. It's like we had enough space that we didn't have to listen. You know, <laughs> we, we, you know, we raised it. I don't know what we're raising, not raising $2 million. You know, we wanted to have the restaurant on the first and second floor. You know, we had, you know, our first design didn't work. And, you know, we had like a, you know, water feature in the dining room. And, you know, we kind of realized shortly after we opened that we only had 70 seats in our dining room and like the whole inside was a lounge. So we took the, you know, the, the kind of, wood seating out that had pillows and put in a banquette and um and then slowly expanded the space with you know some some loans from our business partner and cash flow and kind of you know thought about what we needed and there were some rooms that were easier to redo than others and um we lost our uh, access to our parking lot which enabled us to build the garden in the back and um you know slowly got to the point where we had five private dining rooms plus a private garden plus viviana and um, we're able to kind of, you know, work it all together to the point where we can, you know, do all these things at the same time. And, um, you know, everything was going great. And I think the year before COVID, we did 700 events on 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 property. You know, we do very little off property. And, um, you know, everything is going great. And the recession happens and you're just like, or the whatever, COVID happens and you're just like, what do we fucking do now? You know, and we, you know, 
we had uh can't remember her name now uh stone what's her last name stone um she's an actor um what's that emma stone they were, we're catering emma stone's wedding taylor swift's playing woody harrelson's playing this never happened so i don't think i the nda matters anymore and the wedding was on a saturday night and uh you know thursday you know it's like restaurants are closing left right and center they'd pay the deposit you know they were loading in they were loading in stuff like taylor swift's like kit was in there you know and friday night at like 10 o'clock they canceled the wedding and i was just like fuck and then like saturday night rolled around and sunday was like the fucking gauntlet went down and we're like fuck we're done like you know we have you know three and a half acres of space and you know seventy five thousand dollars a month of rent and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in property tax and we're just like we're gonna fucking go out of business and i you know we vacuum packed everything we could possibly do you know we didn't fire our whole staff we kind of just you know furloughed everybody and i was sitting at home in my in my jacuzzi and uh just like what in the fuck am i gonna do now you know and ring ring fucking billy harris is on the phone hey neil let's get off the phone with uh wells fargo and uh they're gonna sponsor uh homeless meals for uh la family housing you want to do 1300 meals a day seven days a week and i'm just like yeah let's do it so that was monday by thursday or friday that week you know we brought back enough kitchen staff and management staff when we started doing 1300 meals a day for seven days a week for the you know next four months and we're able to kind of you know keep the lights on and uh have a little bit of hope and started doing that and we got a job you know a job with uh the county of la which was terrible and uh you know we did to go and you know there was all these you know black lives riot riots you know right in front of our, our business we had uh, we're patty corner from the police station. You know, where do people want to protest when you want to defund the police? You know, right in front of LEPD headquarters. We had National Guard in front of our building. Um, and somehow we're able to, you know, like we got tagged once. Like, you know, I had some friends in the LAPD. I'm like, can you help me out? And then eventually, like, the National Guard was there. So it would like really calm things down when there's a Humvee in front of your restaurant with a fucking gun turret on the top you know people were like well maybe i'm not gonna burn that cop car down you know wow and slowly like you know got back and then when we got back to uh you know be able to have customers in the restaurant we you know luckily for me i'm my you know my wife and business partner is really smart and we expanded the restaurant by you know 3x and we were able to have about 200 seats socially distanced in the three different you know the viviana patio the Redbird Garden and the Redbird Dining Room. And we started doing, you know, we're doing, you know, 240 covers on a Wednesday night, you know, and because we're the only game in town where you could eat outside, socially distanced, legal, people felt good about it. You know, our servers are in masks and face shields and gloves and fucking sanitizer. And I'm in the kitchen with fucking no mask on, like, let's fucking, you know, let's do this, you know, and uh, slowly got into that. And then, you know, we're slowly able to do events again. And, you know, it's like it ebbs and flows, but it continues to kind of go in the right direction. And it's just, you know, it's like for a while, like I felt like I was convincing all my friends to like go on this trip that I knew that we wouldn't come back from. You know, like, hey, let's go on this adventure. Let's go down the Colorado River in wood kayaks with like, you know, fucking shovels. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Believe me, I've done it. It's really fun. Yeah. The waterfall at the end, just jump out, you know. And you'd look at people's faces and they'd just be fucking scared. You know? Everybody making stay home. You know. And I still feel a little bit about resistance. Like it's still hard to like, you know, I always use the example of like stepping on somebody's neck. Like, how hard can I step on somebody's neck before they say, get the fuck off my neck? You know. And you just don't know. And you just continue to, you know, dig in and train. And then, you know, we uh, got everybody back to work and then like you know, one by one, every sous chef quit, you know, it's just like every line cook quit, you know, the guy who was there for six years quit. They're like, I'm, I need a new pirate ship, you know, and it's just, you're constantly just kind of reinventing yourself. And it's just, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you know, it's like people ask how you do it. And I just continue to do it because this is what I love to do. I have a great 
business partner who's you know a lot smarter than i am and a lot you know she's much better at running into the fire and picking stuff out and you know organizing and um you know we've been able to kind of you know piece things back together and you know without this writer's strike and you know i think that we would be in a different place but again like you know another curveball like you know writer's strike and then an actor's strike and it's like it doesn't directly affect us because we're not in hollywood but for me but to say uh, it doesn't yeah, yeah. It, it affects all of us you know it's, it's such an interesting it's like a i don't think people really you know like it's you've been on a wave right you've been on multiple different sets of waves to get to where you are now and now it's you know what is what is the next curveball? And I think that is the hardest part about what we do. It's not just cooking, building flavors, putting things together. It's it's managing so many other pieces of the puzzle as it happens. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, and I have great I have I have better help and we have enough, you know, revenue and 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 bandwidth that I have really great help. And my chef cuisine, Jason, has been with me, you know, since Grace, you know. 15 years you know we're, we're very good friends we ride together you know him it's like i know him he's great i love riding with him we have a blast you know it's like i'm i'm very fortunate you know my you know my executive sous chef's been with us for seven years you know he's had one restaurant he worked at Bennu. he went to cia and he's worked at redbird you know start off as line cook and it's, it's rare it's it's yeah and it's like you know and, and you know not everybody's perfect but what we're encountering now is like more eager, younger, greener cooks that are like, I want to do this. You know, we have this, you know, new cooks that are like, you know, we've found and, you know, they're definitely not, you know, um, you know, F1 category, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're Fiat weekend racers, but like, you know, they're, 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 they're trying. And it, it's, it's inspiring to see, you know, young kids who are engaged and involved. And that's really what it's all about. You know, it's like, you know, we can't have a room full of people that are as smart as you, you know, making, you know, $20, $25 an hour, you know. I think that's really, it's an interesting time, right? Like, um, and I've said this a thousand times, you know, you can teach anybody to cook. You can't teach, you, you can't teach them to go home and dream about it, right? And that's what you want. You want yeah. the, those members of your team that want to, go home and come back like super fired up. Oh my God. I thought I was thinking, and they want to ask you a million questions. I would much rather have that than somebody yeah. who just, because you know, they're going to grow. They're going to grow for the long haul and they're going to change the way the business works, the way people think yeah. of food, right? That's what we need. Yeah. I have one now woman in my kitchen. She started with us when she was 11. She's now 19. And, you know, I keep wanting to make her a sous chef, you know, Jason's not, a, you know, sure. Her name's Scarlett and she started off, you know, working a day a week and two days a week and she can work every station in the restaurant. She can work grill, saute, hot apps, pastry. She can host, she serves. She knows more about the wine list than probably any server in my dining room. She's 19 years old. And, you know, again, like if I had 20 people like that, I'd be, you know. Unstoppable. They're in <laughs> Yeah. I'd be unstoppable, but it's like, you know, just to have one person like that in your, under your umbrella is, you know, I feel fortunate, you know, and again, I'm always looking for those people, but you're right. You can't teach people to dream about food. You know, it's like every time I interview a lion cook and I'm like, what's the, what's your favorite cookbook? Your My what? Yeah. Cookbook. Do you have a cookbook? I think so. You know, <laughs> we we do this we do the same thing it's like okay what do you cook for yourself at home yeah what's the most memorable meal you've ever had and why right what's your really? favorite cookbook yeah, yeah. I, you, I i stopped yeah it's like where you can do all the vetting process you know there's like a vetting process you can put into culinary agents and you realize you get zero resumes yeah people just don't care I mean, the last guy I bought a cookbook for, you know, just fucking walked out on Saturday brunch. I I I, I quit. Okay. And then applies for a job at like, you know, one of our friends' restaurants, like the next day. Like, what's up with this guy? I don't know. <laughs> he walked out. You can hire him if you want. There's no guarantees. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I mean, I've done it. I walked out of jobs. I mean, I had jobs that didn't work. I mean, you know, I had enough respect to walk in and hand them a letter and say, I'm sorry, this it's not a good fit for me, you know, but it's, uh, 
you know, it's like, you know, listen to like, you know, David Burke, you know, young David Burke, you know, we go to Europe and max out his credit cards on eating, you know, and it's just like, I, I did that. You know, I, I tried to live that dream of like, what does that feel like to like be broke on knowledge, you know, and it feels good, you know, and now not being broke and being able to, you know, I've experienced some of the best restaurants in the world. And, you know, I call some of what I consider some of the best chefs in America friends and, um, and it's been a great way. It's, a, it's great glasses to see the world through, you know, and it's a great way to to share and explore. And, you know, it's like there's not a place we don't, you know, Amy and I don't travel to that we don't, you know, might not be a complete culinary journey, but it's like some of it is. And when you have those experiences, it's like, I don't want to say it's life changing, but it definitely changes your perspective on life, you know. It, it gives a, I like to say that it gives a really great set of glasses into another culture and another world yeah. where, everywhere you go. And, and food is such a powerful medium. Like we give taste memories for a living, right? That's a really amazing way to live. Yeah. Let we, we will impact somebody's life, whether we realize it or not, it's going to be long-term for them. And they have, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen it too. Those moments when you see the guest in the dining room have that aha moment when they're eating something. Yeah. So that feels great. Not everybody can say that what they do does that. And it's, it's a really, I feel it's really special. We're really lucky. Yeah. I feel very blessed. I mean, for all the, you know, hardships, like, you know, people asking, you know, how do how do you do it? You know, it's like, you know, you learn from your successes and your failures and, you know, it's really, you know, the people that aren't able to come up from their failures and really cannot continue on. It's like, it, it makes me sad. You know, I have lots of friends who have had mishaps, you know, it's like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You know, it's like Mark Valiani, who was my, you know, culinary mentor, you know, unfortunately died of ALS, you know, several years ago. And, um, you know, just seeing his path, you know, he, you know, worked in San Francisco and worked at Lulu and Gianna and, uh, you know, ended up, you know, working for Frito-Lay because that's what he needed to do in order to support his family. You know, it's just kind of, uh, everybody has different paths, you know, at the end of the day, like the older I get, it's like, this guy went to culinary school with uh, Dan Molnar and um, he's a, you know, professional ski bum lives up in Mammoth and uh, you know, his wife runs the mobile Mart at Tioga pass her family does. And he lives a really great life. And during COVID, you know, I'm here like cooking homeless meals and he's on the beach in Mexico with his family surfing. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? You know, where did I, what did I sign up for? And I was so envious of his ability to like, you know, take care of himself and his family and his soul by, you know, extricating himself to whatever they could afford. You know, they drive to the middle of Baja, they take a six hour dirt road to a beach and just live on the beach, you know? And I'm like, I was just like, wow, I just, I so want that right now, just to, to be a monk of life, you know, living in your little community and he has a van he's not like this you know crazy rv he lives they live in a van you know they fucking shit in a bucket you know it's like and it's like that's kind of awesome yeah it's a you different know? you know everybody has got their way to make it right for their yeah. own mental well-being and time and place and i think that's what's that's what to me is is great right you'll all like you said everybody will find their path everybody needs to eat right so whether yeah. you're a chef running, you know, uh, a retirement community, whether you're feeding kids in public schools, all of it is valid and has its time and place, right? You don't have to be just running a restaurant. And I think that's, that's what makes what we do great because we're always feeding someone. We're always making someone feel good. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it definitely, you know, it's, it's great. And, you know, kind of, you know, dealing with, you know, my mom later in life and, you know, meeting the chef of the community she's living in now, it's like, you know, in the place she was before, like, there's all these people that are doing, you know, good work, you know, nourishing people and, and uh, enable people to recover, you know, I I've always like, you know, had this pipe dream of like, you know, cooking for a, you know, professional cycling team. And when my friend, uh, you know, wrote for BMC, uh, you know, he talked to his sponsors about me cooking for some races. And they're like, we don't have budget for that shit. Like, don't even think about it, you know? And, uh, you know, the idea, like just being a, you know, a cog in a different wheel, but being an important cog, like, you know, you, there's no, you're not winning the Tour de France, you know, eating, uh, 
you know, goos the whole time. You know, there's just no way. Like you would go, um, you'd be diabetic by the end of that thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine? That stuff is, I can't do it. I can't. Do I can't. It. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. Just like, I'll eat shot blocks, but like just the, the whole, whole like, you know, yeah, it's just disgusting to me. So. I mean, it, it, it has its place when you really desperately need it. I mean, I've done all of them, right? Like, but it's tough. And I think there's, there's something to be said for that. Like what the amount of food yeah, yeah. one of those athletes eats one particular, you just say any cycling team, right? Like I think this year EF just discussed the whole amount of eggs, the number of eggs that they ate during the right. events was like astronomical. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. And they, they were like, they did it by the dozen. And they, I, I think there's just the number was just, I, I was trying to process it. Like, that's just yeah. insane per day, you know? Uh, at the Prescott Hotel in LA, I forget the guy's name. He was a like heavyweight uh, boxer. And uh, he wanted like a 24 ounce steak, well done, and 12 eggs. That was his breakfast. And I was just like, who could, I put it on a plate. I'm like, who could eat that? He just like cleaned his plate. And I was just like, done. Well, when you're in that much of an athletic form, your body requires so much more than we realize, right? And he probably ate it well done because he was afraid he would get sick because their yeah. their um, their what's the word I'm looking? At? Immune system is so low because they're so trained, right? They're so their their bodies are so depleted constantly from like build muscle, build muscle, build muscle that they have to be super safe. Yeah, it's a yeah, crazy the size of Shaq, like I forget his name. He was like around the time of Tyson, like, but he was twice the size of Tyson. I was just like, yeah, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. You can come in. Yep. Just don't make him angry. <laughs> so I'd like to do a little finish off game here. It's really quick. No, no, uh, there's no right or wrong answers. So we'll play that really fast, but um, yeah, I think, I just want more folks to realize like it's a, it's not, it's not all glamorous. Right. I think a lot of people think what, what we do is a glamorous game, right? I think it's all fun and, and it, it's fun, but it's not, it's not an easy road to get there, but even more so than that, it's continuous. Like we're continuously learning. We're continuously evolving, right? Like you're always, yeah. every travel that you take, you go out and eat. And you, it inspires something, whether it's a new technique or whether it's a product you may have never seen or used in a certain way. I mean, that's what makes what we do so fun, right? Yeah. Like, like that when we went out to dinner over at Tranny's the other day, right? Mm -hmm. That meal was exceptional, but like leopard shark fish and chips blew my mind. Yeah. Sounds simple, but it's so yeah. like, like wh why haven't I ever figured this out? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, I think, you know, Dustin has, um, he's in a very specific area. You know, a lot of that stuff would not exist within five miles away from there. You know, yeah. I mean, close to a fishery is like, it's kind of weird, but it's kind of cool. You know, it's like, you know, when the whole area in Chicago is right, you know, where all the, you know, the butchering of Chicago is right in front of, you know, Blackbird, like, I'm sure you can go down and get some ofowl that like, wouldn't exist anywhere else. You know, and I think that, um, you know, I, I've never foraged as like a, a hobby, but like, you know, I really respect that as a thing. And, you know, you know, I just, I just like, you know, speaking of travel and all the things, like I've just never tried to tie myself to one thing. Like I've always tried to leave myself, you know, like I always feel, you know, being pigeonholed or being known for a specific thing sometimes has a you know, a certain amount of space, you know, that I've never wanted to tie myself to. And I, you know, people say like our, our menu is fusion, which I, is a word that I really have a lot of disdain for, you know. Um, but it's a matter of you, you know, what I say, like celebrating Los Angeles on a plate. And like that is to me is like, you know, if you drove around LA, like they're all here, everyone's here. Yeah. You know, there's not a, uh, I'm sure there are cultures that aren't represented in Los Angeles culinarily, but they're, they're, they're more represented here than most places in the world. And, you know, again, you don't have to go to the the French laundry of, you know, Cantonese food in LA, but there's lots of great food that you can be inspired by and lots of great markets. And you know, it's still like a dish that I, 
haven't dove all the way into, but it's a tofu skin salad in this restaurant called Bistro Naz in Temple City that I've probably been there 10 or 12 times. And one of my friends who uh, works for the LAPD took me there and got a private room. And like, it was like one of those things, like I felt like it was like in Goodfellas, like he's in like, you know, not that he, he's going to murder me, but it just, it was so like, I was so out of my element. And I was literally like, you know, seven and a half miles away from my house, you know? And uh, just had this like transcendental, you know, um, Chinese meal. And the first dish they serve was this tofu skin salad with uh, Szechuan chilies and cilantro. And it's super simple. And it's uh, like I've used Yuba before. I've made Yuba before. It's like I, I, I've tried to find this ingredient. I actually met the chef. I need to like walk in the kitchen and like figure it out. But it's just like one of those dishes. It's so simple. You know, it's like the first time you have a like a Korean steamed egg and you're just like, this is so good, you know? And it's like, what's in there? Stock and eggs, you know? It's funny. Cause that same salad you're talking about, there's a place here in the city in San Francisco uh -huh. that I've gone to. And I still, I always do the same thing. There's like two or three places that I always try to see the difference and just keep going yeah. back. And um, <clears throat> I, there's an Asian market down the street from my house, which is great. Sunset super. And they take the tofu skin and I got one of them to actually tell me what they, they buy dried tofu skin and rehydrate it. And then mm. they, make it. right. But that was the one that I, I mean, if you're getting the fresh tofu skin, that's probably even better. <laughs> it might not be fresh. It might be dry. I don't know. I mean, it tastes cool. like I, isn't it amazing though. It's like the figuring it out part is so much fun. It's the technical yeah. aspects. And it's like, God, I want to do that. Like, what is like, how do I, yeah, I went to Copenhagen a couple of years ago before COVID and we ate, you know, all the kind of best restaurants and like the two things that kind of uh, stood out was, uh, you know, the use of ramp greens, like, you know, in different ways, grilled or dried or, and then I don't know if it was at Noma or Cado, but we had like a ravioli made with milk skin. And I was just like, I mean, again, like you've got, you know, Noma, you know, there's 40 people in the kitchen, you know, toiling it over all day, but it was just... <laughs> texture and then um it's funny uh, i ate at uh john shields i don't know his wife's name they had a restaurant in chilhowie virginia i remember that closest restaurant i was on main street can't remember the name of it now but uh he had a uh like a filet with uh like a yuba skin over the top of it and i was just like we were the only people in the restaurant there were like two other people in there and uh, yeah, I had freeze dried lichen as a dessert with like wasabi powder on top. And I was just like, this is going to suck. And you put it in your mouth. You're just like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever had. <laughs> you know, like Yuba, like the, that idea, like the texture, it's it's very interesting. And it's uh, I had a, one of my sous chefs went and worked at a, a Moss uh, several years ago. And she was, you know, talking about this stuff and she, she had really no idea how to make it. You know, it's like in, in you know. Obviously, you can make one, but it's like making it over and over again. It's it's challenging. I can't imagine. I like those. Yeah, being able to replicate something that with with not the amount of stuff, <laughs> the forty people in the back toiling over tying it, tying a little thing for you. Yeah, too much, way too much. All right, let's do this. You ready? Yeah. Coffee yeah. or tea? Six. Yeah, sixty free people. Yeah, it's. <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about that remember it made the news <laughs> yeah that's why they're closing we could... it wouldn't surprise me if that's why they were closing i wouldn't be surprised either i wouldn't yeah. be all right coffee or tea coffee milk or no milk milk whole milk pancakes or waffles i like both waffles oatmeal or yogurt yogurt bacon or sausage Bacon. Chicken or duck? That's a hard one. I really like chicken. Beef or pork? Uh, pork. Quail, squab? Squab. Hot dog, hamburger? Uh, hamburger. Ketchup, mustard? Uh, ketchup. Taco, burrito? Taco. Pasta, noodles? Uh, pasta. Ravioli or dumplings? 
dumplings. Raw oysters or raw clams? Raw clams. Yes. Not many people say that. But I was looking at a, I was watching a YouTube video last night on, uh, I think it's called Lure. It's a restaurant in New York City. Yeah. And I'm consulting on this place in Manhattan Beach and uh, the concepts have been kind of changed and there's a, you know, neighbor restaurant that has uh, same investment and they want to take off all the the raw fish dishes. I'm like, can we just have raw fish dishes that aren't on the other menu? Like clams, gooey duck, razor clams, cooked oysters. Like, why can't we just like everything you don't have? Why can't we have a version of it? You know, because I got to say um, raw clams on the half shell Amazing. are delicious. They're delicious. Texturally, they're incredible too. Yeah. And I don't think, I think that's what people's fear is, is the texture, not the flavor. Yeah. I almost like them more than oysters. Me too. I grew up with them, man. That was like a thing as a kid. Yeah. Growing up in Rhode Island, man, you like. Yeah. We had clams. We didn't have oysters as much. Yeah. The best clams I've ever had were actually cooked. And, uh, Cloudy Bay clams from New Zealand. We actually got them in the restaurant for a while. And uh, they're surf clams. And I had them in this like giant Japanese restaurant. It was in a casino in Auckland. And it was like sake, chili thread, scallions, these Cloudy Bay clams. And it's just like the brininess of it is just like amazing. We get them sometimes fresh. And sometimes they like, they blanch them. They serve them like in, like in a vacuum pack bag. But it's like one of those things, like you need to eat them like, you know, the day they come out of the water or two days after. It's just a different experience. That's crazy. All right. Lobster or crab? Crab. Which type of crab? What's my favorite crab? I mean, the king of all crabs is probably my favorite crab. King crab. Sea urchin or caviar? Uh, Caviar. Meatballs or sausage? Sausage. Pizza style. Pizza style, I like them all. Um, I would say thin crust, but not, you know, crazy, crackery, thin crust. With texture, always. It has to have a yeah. good. Yeah. Red wine, but, white wine. The all Recco that Nancy makes at oh, uh, yeah. Baca's is, I've only had it twice, and I, I've actually had it in Recco at obviously the wrong restaurant, but I was like, that's so dialed in. You know, that, you know, unleavened uh, pizza, calzone, whatever it is. It's amazing yeah. when you get it right. <laughs> when yeah. people do, God, fermentation and bread and doughs is just so magic. Yeah. Red wine, white wine. Red wine. Light beer, dark beer. Light beer. White spirits or brown spirits? I like them both. Okay. Brown spirits, choose. <laughs> favorite type of bubbles favorite type of bubbles i would say uh be a card salmon rosé you're gonna laugh at this one ice cream soft server gelato or standard ice cream standard ice cream a cup or a cone uh cup usually i like a cone but usually a cup chocolate or fruit chocolate or fruit Probably fruit. Honey or maple syrup? That's a hard one. Probably maple syrup. Favorite candy? Chocolate. Guilty pleasure? Um, used to be potato chips, but now I think it's uh, smoked almonds. And your last meal? My last meal that I'm served or cooked. Either, whatever you choose. There's no wrong answer. It's funny. Somebody asked me that several years ago, and I would say cooking a dinner for my dad. But uh, he died almost nine years ago. So he really enjoyed my cooking. He loved uh, John Dory with uh, some sort of nage and something braised you know braised leeks or endive or something like that how many times have you made naj god i can't even begin <laughs> that's yeah. such a gone thing too i miss it 
Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, Joaquim, you know, was kind of that guy. I mean, I'm sure it came out of, uh, you know, original out of UTA or someone like that. But, uh, yeah, the idea of thickening stuff, you know, not only with some butter, but with vegetable, to me, was uh, something I did learn in culinary school, that's for sure. It was, uh, yeah. Having, my, having worked my, with Casey, that was like, that was a big deal for us. We were making nage all the time. Where was that? Tracy Desjardins. Well, that she worked under Joe Kim, so that's yeah. why. So it was like a big deal. Like we were making nage and it was just like such a learning curve. Like, yeah, blanching vegetables and. Yeah. And I, I know what I enjoy eating the most. I always like thing. What, one of the best things I've ever eaten is uh, wild hair. I just oh, yeah. love, love cooking it. I love eating it. I love slicing it. It's just. We didn't do any last year. We need to do some this year, but it's uh, definitely my favorite game. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, fuck, just that we would get the wild hairs at Encanto on the regular. We would do like game month and I would try to get all these different, all these different animals and then just kind of go through what I could get. And I remember getting wild hair and doing pasta and doing a pasta sauce with it and the blood and everybody was like, what in the hell is this? I'm like, Oh yeah, this is like, this is real game. We'd be sorting yeah. buck with a magnet, like a super high powered magnet trying to get buckshot out. I've had, a, I've had a, a lot. I've, I've only had buckshot in a couple of them, but it depends if you get the ones from Scotland or the ones from Uruguay, but uh, the ones from Uruguay, they seem to shoot them better, but uh, Scotland, they. Oh, we were yeah. getting from Scotland. It was like, super powered like gigantic magnet and you'd be like oh my god what the fuck? i think it was yeah. dead once you didn't need to shoot it like 20 times yeah yeah it's funny it's definitely crazy yeah i like squab too grouse for Gamey sure Gamey birds are delicious i don't know small birds are always always been my favorite yeah we do small birds all day yeah it went bird hunting up in, uh, I've only been once. It was li literally the morning after a beefsteak and I was pretty hungover and I drove in the rain to my friend, investor Ted Eccles house. We went up to, uh, Gorman and we went bird hunting and I didn't realize like, you know, most of the birds you hunt globally, unless you're hunting dove, they're like placed there, they're raised and they're, you know, kind of like a Easter egg hunt, you know? And, um, we went there, it was, you know, I think I got to, Ted's house at 6 a.m. We got there at like seven in the morning. The sun is rising. It is raining. And uh I'd never been, you know, hunting my life. And you know, they hand me a shotgun and you know, some clothes to wear and the little backpack on the back. And man, it was so much fun. And that next day, you know, they dressed all the birds for us. And we went to uh a guy who's now my one of my investors, this guy Wayne Hughes up in Malibu, and I cooked this dinner for like 20 people with all this game we'd shot in the morning. It was just fucking unbelievably good. See, that's fun stuff. I gotta, yeah. I haven't been hunting in so long, actually, really long time. We should go for a hunt. It'd be fun for sure. Yeah. Pig hunting's great. Yeah. Meet, you know, we could do it in Central California. Yeah. Meet in the middle. Yeah. I've always wanted to, I don't know what the season is for, for Tule Elk, but we were, uh, pig hunting at the Jack Ranch, which is owned by the Hearst family, uh -huh. and herd of tule elk. I mean, it must have been sixty of them, and they were running up and down the hills. It looked like a school of fish. And uh, we went last time we went hunting was the whatever the weekend before the shutdown when the stock market plunged. And uh, I was with Jason. Uh, I forget the other guy's name. Ted's friend and Jet Tila. And Jed had cell phone reception. He's like just watching like his portfolio lose money. I'm just like, we can just stay here and hunt pigs. <laughs> Why go home? Why go home? Wild boar hunting is pretty incredible. Yeah. So Neil, um, if people want to come to see you, they want to come to the restaurant. They want to find you. Where where do they find you? They'll find me at Redbird. That's where I spend the majority of my time. Um. Yeah. I'm not hard to find as far as uh, email, social media. I'm not uh, amazingly receptive, but I'm not not receptive. So if you want to reach out, all of my handles are pretty easy. Like they start with the word Neil and they end it with the word Fraser. So they're 
<laughs> not hard. And for everybody out there, I'm going to have links not only to Redbird, but to Neil and all the, the fun stuff that, that he's got going on. So, Neil, I'm going to let you get back to your restaurant. Thank you. Um, but this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you taking time to interview me. Of course. Of course. Uh, look at the next beefsteak. Oh, um, my God. I want to do that. Uh, VIP hour with a guest chef. We'll love to have you. I would love to come down for beefsteak. I can tell you that. Be spring, springish time, probably February. Amazing. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Right. Now I got to figure out how to shut this thing off because they changed everything. <laughs>